My name is Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. I'm really grateful to be here, and I'm also um, a little overwhelmed because I've always loved this meeting, and I've never spoken at this meeting. Um, I came to program in 2004. Um, I have two years of abstinence, and I don't want that to scare any newcomers um, because I've actually had really long stretches of abstinence and a lot of recovery in this program. And because of this program, my life got nice and big. Um, I got married, I had kids, I have stepkids, and it became harder to, first of all, work the program for me, and also, and I'll go into this a little bit more, to turn my will and my life over to God. I had gotten really, really good at that until things got really important. <laughs> and suddenly I, I took it back. And when I took it back, I lost my abstinence. And I lost my abstinence for a number of years. And it took, I never left the program because the program was the only place that I really found relief, not just from my compulsive eating, but from my demons. And um, so I never left the program. I'd been in therapy for years. I've tried a lot of different things. Um, Overeaters Anonymous is the only thing that ever worked for me on a long-term basis. And um, what's really wonderful for me was that even though I struggled for about five years, um, I, w- I wasn't kicked out. Like, it was okay. It's okay to struggle. And I had some really, really wonderful sponsors. I'm really lucky. And my sponsor just waited patiently. And then eventually she said to me, are we working the program or not? And I had to stop, and it took me about a month to think that question through and come back to her and say, I'm working the program. And that was when my abstinence started again. So I'll go back much farther now. That's a really quick overview. I don't know that I was born a compulsive eater. I didn't like food when I was a kid. I didn't understand what the big deal was. Um, I liked sweets, and that was it. And there was a lot of controlling behavior around food in my family. Um, And my sister was the heavier one, so she was brought to Weight Watchers. And I was the skinny one, so they would make me sit at the table until I would actually eat. Um, but my food was rarely in the hands of, our food wasn't in our hands, in other words. Um, when I was about 12, my father got terminally ill, or I should say got a terminal illness. He had Lou Gehrig's disease, which you might know. And um, things changed drastically. Um, my parents started kind of traveling the world in search of a non-existent cure. And me and especially my sister were, we were kind of dumped on people who didn't really want to take care of us. And I would say probably the worst scenario was when we were with my aunt who was an alcoholic and who attempted suicide while we were staying with her. And the, the part of it that was very hard was that my sister especially, who was 16 at the time, I was 13, was saying to my parents, this is not a good situation. 
And as I, we found really from that early point forward, we weren't really listened to very much. And um, so uh, uh, I'll just say there were various there were various iterations of this. It was me and my sister by ourselves in high school and my freshman year. Then I lived with a with a, another family. Then my brother transferred from another college, saying, "Oh, I want a business be at a business school in New York." But really, I think he came home so that when my parents were home, he could help with my dad. And um, but he didn't want to be responsible for me, so I had to find another place to live. Um, and uh, I guess really what I want to get across here is that my parents were in a really bad place. My mom was not equipped to be dealing with what she was dealing with. And what I read into this was I am a burden. And if I either, if I only wasn't born, they wouldn't have to worry about where to put me. And also, um, if only I were more perfect, everything would be okay. And I didn't just come up with that. Like I said, there was a lot of focus on food and how we looked in my family. And I'm sure it's not what my parents, my parents' intention but what came out of that was, that's right, if only I was thin enough. And um, I was also very much, um, I got a lot of praise for being okay. I got a lot of praise for, oh my God, all this is happening and you've got your head on straight, you know what you're doing, you've got everything under control, you're doing great. And so I heard it's really important for me to be fine and to not cause anyone anyone any trouble. And that was actually directly said to me. I didn't just come up with that. There were moments where I kind of pushed the boundary. I was a fucking, uh, sorry, I was a teenager. And so every now and again I thought, well, you know, this isn't right. Um, and, uh, and then I was told, I was kind of pulled aside usually by my brother, what are you doing? Dad could die tomorrow. There's no room for this. And I just buttoned it right back down. And um, so anyway, uh, what happened? Um, the way I started dealing with it was food. Um, I did not know what compulsive overeating was, didn't have that as part of my dictionary, but I knew that I just wanted to have, for instance, a bagel and cream cheese. I want comforting food. I don't want vegetables and fruits. <laughs> um, uh, and I would go into the kitchen and I'd put some on and then I'd hide away in, in my room and eat it and say that's all I need. And two minutes later, I'd be back down getting another one. And this was like a worn path for me, back and forth and back and forth. And my parents at this point lived in Arizona. And... So I was trying to find time, let's say like when I was living at my friend's house, to eat compulsively and call it that at the time. And when I was visiting my parents in Arizona, I would sneak food into the bedroom that I used. And um, my favorite thing was to turn the TV on and just go 
you know, from just whatever, from the bag to the mouth, whatever it was, from the bag to the mouth. And um, I will never, and then, of course, my parents started being very, very focused on my weight. And they would say, if you lose, this was in high school, if you lose the weight, we'll, we'll buy you a new wardrobe. Um, if you lose the weight, we were all very focused on my weight. It was like a family concern. And um, even like through college, they hired a hypnotist to get me to eat less. And the whole family sat around while I sat with the hypnotist and watched me get hypnotized. Um, and, you know, one of the messages that I got very deliberately, they just said the words, this wasn't like subtle, um, how are you going to find a husband if you're overweight? And I very much felt like I'm not a piece of meat. And what was really hard for me was separating out what I wanted with what my parents wanted. So I suddenly was like, forget that. Like, I don't need no gosh darn husband. And there was a part of me that was like, boy, I'd really love to have a partner who takes care, who, like, I love and they love me. Like, that sounds wonderful. But I really put my hands up against that. And um, so um, I was very conflicted is basically the best way to put it. And I also didn't understand why I couldn't stop. And I'll never forget, we were on vacation somewhere, and I just quickly get this out of the way. My dad was given two years to live, two to five years. And um, he ended up living 22 years. And it's, it's not that he had some slower form of Lou Gehrig's disease. At the two-year mark, he was dying, and his doctor said, do you want to go on a respirator? If you go on a respirator, you can eke out some more years. And he decided to go on a respirator. He had a feeding tube. He was unable to speak after that. And um, he was still unable to move, but he had really good care. And so he was able to last another 22 years. But I spent 22 years waiting for the moment he would die. That was basically how I spent 22 years. So my career was really important to me, but I would drop anything to go be with him when asked. Um, I basically gave up anything that was of any other importance to be there for the family and be the dutiful daughter. Except I wasn't that dutiful because I wasn't losing the weight, and that seemed to be the most important thing. Um, I really went up and down. Um, uh, okay, so getting back to uh, trying to lose the weight. Um, for some reason, after I got out of college, um, I was back in New York, and um, my parents wanted me, see, wanted me to see this dietitian. And for whatever reason, I was able to drop the weight. And I restricted. And, you know, I, every little microgram of food mattered about whether it went in and went out. And one highlight of this period is when I went out to breakfast with friends and I looked through the menu and it was always difficult for me to find something that I could eat on the menu because my diet was so restricted. And it said there was um, yogurt with fruit. I was like, I could do yogurt with fruit. That's fine. It comes and it's got honey on it. And I flipped out. And to this day, my friends make fun of me for how I flipped out. And it's mortifying. It's mortifying how food controlled me. Um, 
So it was my birthday, and I wanted to have pancakes. And um, I couldn't get pancakes, so I had French toast, and then the next day I got pancakes. And then that was it. It was like a rubber band that had been pulled really, really, really thin. I skipped over something which was really important. Um, I thought, I lose the weight, and then I get the perfect job, and I get the guy, and I get, and then everything is okay in my life. That's not what happened. Um, I was, didn't know how to have a relationship. I didn't know, and I didn't know this part until I came into program. I didn't know how to be honest, and I didn't know how to be myself. And people would say to me, you hold your, hand, you hold your card so close to your chest. And I didn't even understand what they were talking about. I was like, I'm just being me. What, what in the world are you saying? I had no idea that I could not reveal myself to people. When I was in high school, there was a guy I had an enormous crush on. And turned out he liked me. So a friend came over and said, he likes you. What do you think? And I kind of said, I would never reveal who my crushes were to people because I was too protective of myself. I said, I'm not really interested. And the reason I said that was because I thought I'm five pounds overweight. And if he touches me, he'll know how disgusting I am. And this is basically an allegory for how I felt about myself through life. So I lose the weight. I didn't know how to relate to a guy still. Um, I didn't have any great relationships. I didn't do very well. I didn't find the great job. Um, I was still ill. And um, I, uh, I got really depressed. I got, ve- I got the most depressed I'd ever been because this was supposed to solve anything and it didn't solve anything. And I remember being, visiting my parents in Arizona and my brother was there with his fiance or wife, I don't remember, and my sister was there with her fiance or husband. And I was there by myself and I was skinny and I was lonely. And I just, at a certain point, I went to the bathroom and I started crying and I couldn't stop. And at one point, you know, we were leaving the restaurant and we're in the car and everybody's realizing, like, I've been crying in the bathroom. And then my mother turns to me and she, and I couldn't even eat. It takes a lot of depression for me to get to a point where I can't eat. And I couldn't eat at dinner. And so my mom said, what's wrong? And I said, I'm just really sad right now. And I knew I couldn't really tell my mom because she's not a, she's not somebody I can turn to. And um, I said, I'm just really, really sad. And she said, well, at least it means you're not eating. Yeah. Um, Let's cut to, I come to L.A. I see I only have 10 minutes left. Um, And I am now at the point where I will spend an entire day eating in my house. The entire day. And I'll, I'll wait. It's painful. And I'll just wait till the pain passes, and then I'll start eating again. Um, I can't taste my food. I am eating stuff that's frozen. Why, why eat things that are frozen? Because you'd have to wait for it to unfreeze, and that's too long. So I would try to throw stuff out to not eat it. I'd pull it out of the garbage. Um, I was in a really bad way, and of course I didn't tell anybody. And I was taking a walk with somebody who I'd met, and I was not revealing that, but there must have been something about what I said that she said, you know, there's this program called Overeaters Anonymous, and I think it might be good for you. And I was like, the 
not for me. Because you see, I was training for a marathon, so I didn't look fat. And I said, that's not for me. If I were like really overweight, that would be for me. And I literally that day went home after this walk around the reservoir and ate my way through the kitchen. And I was like, I need help. So I went online. Thank God we had online at the time. And I found a meeting and I called the secretary that was on the list. And she gave me such specific directions to this meeting that there was no way I couldn't find it. (laughs) I walked in and it was the first time I heard people speaking about food the way I thought of food. Um, And because we're running, kind of running out of time, I want to kind of jump ahead. These are the things that I discovered about myself through program. I am a perfectionist. I did not think I could possibly be a perfectionist because I was often unemployed, um, heavy, heavier than I wanted to be at least. Um, I didn't have uh, somebody who wanted to be a partner with me, um, who I loved. Um, I basically didn't have all the trappings and I was lazy. Um, I would happily spend the day in bed and not see anybody. Um, and so I could not imagine myself as a perfectionist, but I am a perfectionist. Um, I compare myself to the impossible. And when I don't measure up, nothing is worth it. Um, I am an enormous people pleaser. I, I spent my life trying to figure out what you want from me so I can give it to you. Um, how, what kind of personality do you want in front of you? Do you want me to make you laugh? Do you want me to be more serious? What is it you want so I can give it to you? I didn't know what I felt at all. Um, I really hated myself. And um, I realized that every conversation that I had, I would walk away going, you idiot, why did you say that? Um, So, thank you. Five minutes, all right. Um, So I... I started working on these things, and um, a lot of it took repetition. Um, Practicing, walking away from a conversation, hearing that voice, and stopping myself. Um, Being in a conversation with someone and realizing what I'm doing and quieting myself and starting to be present. Being present is really hard for me. I have so many wonderful fantasies in my head and they're a lot of fun and I'd much rather be there. So, um, so stopping and saying like, what is happening here and paying attention. Um, real self-acceptance was a really, really big thing for me. Um, And it was actually quite scary. I make it sound like, oh, I just had to do this. Perhaps I sound like that. It was terrifying. Being myself with my friends was terrifying. I have a lot of friends. I really love them. And the idea that I had to give up, I had a chance giving them all up. Um, But I managed it. And I'll just say that um, I had years of serenity and abstinence. And I, I stopped dieting 
I, dieting is part of, no dieting is part of my abstinence, aside from no binging. And I started tasting my food. And when I tasted my food, I realized how much food I didn't like. And when I realized that and I decided I'm only going to eat foods I like, I'm no longer going to pay attention. Does it have mayonnaise in it? How many calories is it? When I did that, I lost 15 pounds, which was about how much I needed to lose. And that was just my, that was my experience and what happened to me. Um, I met my husband in abstinence, and I found someone who, when I started to people please, because I'll do it without noticing, he'll get really annoyed with me. And he'll be like, what are you doing? This set. He won't know that's what I'm doing. He just knows something's off in the conversation. Like, I'm not there. I'm not present. Um, somebody who wants me to be completely honest with him and who appreciates the fact that I have flaws and I know it and that he has flaws and he knows it. I'm really, really lucky about that. I'm not saying, like, we never have our problems, but to start off from that point is really great for me. Um, when I had... My stepdaughters, that was when I start, well, when we moved in together, my stepdaughters were seven and four. And I was desperate for them to feel wanted because that was not what I felt. And I lived with other people for a lot of my life, and I didn't want them to feel the way I felt. So rather than being myself, I started the whole people-pleasing thing again. But they were only with us half the time. So it was kind of a tug of war there. And then when my son was born, that was the real problem. I guess problem is the best way to say it. I was convinced he would not survive because I spent my life imagining my father dying. I, at least once a week, I would have some scenario of what it would look like. So I felt prepared for when it happened. Well, now I placed my son in that. And that was really hard. And, um, you know, turning that over to God was a no-go. Absolutely not. You know, when I was able to say, if I lose my friends, I lose my friends. This is terrifying, but I'm going to do it. To say, if I lose my son, I lose my son. I turn it over to my higher power. Absolutely not. If I had to go back now and do it again, I don't know that I could do it any differently. This was the best I could do. Um, so it took the first five years of his life. And I didn't just turn back to the food. I turned back to the people-pleasing. And I turned back to the self-hatred. And I turned back because, for me, the food is a symptom. And it's really the illness in my mind that I use the food to soothe and to, to be a bomb for what's going on in here. Um, um, about two years ago, oh, that's the end of Time's Up. My time's up, so I will just say thank you so much for letting me share, and I hope you got something out of it. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, Please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast.
thank you for your share. Um, Nancy, would you please finish your share? <laughs> You know what? I lost my. I, I kind of lost my train of thought. I guess what I was going to wrap up with. Oh, sorry. Uh, finish my chair. My share. Daphne, I think. Uh, sorry, I didn't. I said your name. Um, <coughs> I won't do that to anybody else. Um, if I could finish my share. All I was going to say was, um, over the last two years, I'm. It's it's a slow climb. It took five years of me trying, and working the steps, and I had three different um, sponsors in that time and um, I tried a sponsor who was really really you know harsh and strict and that it, it just didn't it didn't make me I, it didn't put me back together and um, uh, and I went through first through I had gone through the steps already once completely but I went through one through four three times until my present um, uh, um, sponsor and I'm going through it again question by question and I really couldn't stand it the other times it was like when is this going to be over and I'm doing the same thing answering a single question in the 12 and 12 a day, like kind of a day it's never really a question a day sometimes I'll do it for a week and then I skip some days and now I'm calmer and I'm able to take time on the question and I'm not in this anxiety of like get it done, get it done, get it done. So that's the difference of working the fourth step then and wor working it now. I just needed time and I needed to get out of that place where I was so scared. So, yeah. Oh, well, on that, thank Yes. Sorry. Was there a reason that I kept cycling back one through four in the steps? Yes. Um, I did that only because of the sponsors. I would have a sponsor, and then I would go one through four, and then it would all fall apart. I wouldn't quite finish four. And then I would get a new sponsor, and she would say, well, let's start again. And we'd start again, and I'd go one through four, and then it would fall apart. And then I got my third new sponsor, and she said, well, let's start again. <laughs> so obviously that was where I needed to be. I was stuck in stuff steps one through four for a really long time. Right. Yeah. Thanks for your share. You mentioned your defect of not being to please people. So how do you work step six and seven? Can you give us any specific uh, example of how you're not um, so the question was, how do I work steps six and seven, not being in, trying to not do the people pleasing anymore? So I haven't, I haven't gone through again steps six and seven since I first went through it when I did the entire twelve steps the first time. Because like I said, as I said, I've been stuck on steps one through four for now seven years. Um, but um, I will say in terms of the people pleasing, the best thing for me is getting on my knees every morning and praying to my higher power and asking him to keep me present. Because to me, it's really about not being present. Um, I am not really paying attention to what's going on inside of me. All I'm paying attention to is guessing what the other person wants rather than even really listening. Um, and so I ask God to help me be present. I ask God to open my heart to the people that love me. And 
I ask God in the morning, please remove my fear and grant me faith. Please remove my anxiety and grant me acceptance. And I don't know why praying to my higher power works, but it seems to work. And the first time with my first sponsor that she asked me to please get on my knees and ask to have my compulsive eating removed or to ask God to grant me serenity, etc. Um, I really resisted that for a long time. And I kept having like a few days of abstinence and then I'd lose it and then a month of abstinence and then I'd lose it. This was at the very beginning. And then finally, she kept asking and she's so wonderful and sweet and she just very gently would ask again. She would be like, are you willing to try it now? And I'd be like, no. And then she'd say, are you willing to try it now? And I said, maybe. And then, are you willing to try it now? And then finally one day, I like took a pillow, I put it on the floor, and I was like, this is ridiculous, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I got down on my knees, and I said the serenity prayer. And for whatever reason, I didn't want to eat after that. And that was really eye-opening for me. And I find that as I work my program, what really helps me every day is to get on my knees and ask for the things that I mentioned. And when I do that, I am more present in my day. And if, I'm, if I am more present in my day, I'm able to notice when I'm doing it. And that's, the mo- for me, the most important thing is seeing it. Because I do it without thinking. I don't try to do it. And then I meditate. And then I do some program work, like usually a question in the 12 and 12. And when I do that, I'm less likely to do my people-pleasing. But I still slip into it at times. Okay. Do you have a problem with car accidents? Do I have a problem with car accidents? Um, uh, in terms of, like, not paying attention? Yeah. Um, I haven't actually had a problem with car accidents for some reason. I've, I, I've, I always had this problem of... If I just pay attention to what's going around me, I think I'm going to be bored. And that's one of the things that brings me into these fantasy worlds. Like, I almost do, I'm, I'm kind of good rote. Um, so I haven't had that problem. Thank you for asking. Um, how do you know doing That's a really great, great question. It's um, how do you balance doing service with wanting to please people? Um, and I, I will go back to being clear with my higher power. Um, I, when it comes to program, I have a tendency to do pretty much what's asked of me. Um, because and this is really selfish. It's going to help me. So that is without question. But, you know, once upon a time, if somebody asked me to do something, it was a definite yes, no matter what. People could always depend on me to say yes to anything. And now, honesty, by the way, I just remembered something. Honesty, I asked for the strength to be honest because I was a really big liar, and I did not think I was. But I was lying every time I said I would do something, I was willing to do something, and I really didn't want to. And then I would have these enormous resentments that I would carry around. So um, I just try to listen to my gut, but I find that the more I work my program, the more often I get on my knees in the morning and do my and speak to my higher power, the more often I come to meetings, 
the easier it is to hear, for me to hear direction about and to hear myself just go, I just don't want to do that. And that's actually going to mess up a lot of things in my life. So I'm just going to say I'm so sorry I can't do it. And I have found the times that I have not listened to myself and I've said yes have caused so many more problems. I mean, enormous problems than if I had just been able to be honest with people and say, I can't do that right now. Oh, my stuck guy in the back. Uh, could you talk a little more about your, your, the relationship with your kids and how that's evolved? Yes, thank you. Um, can I talk about the relationship with my kids and how that's evolved? Um, that's actually been really, really difficult for me. Um, I, m- my stepkids think I'm awesome. Um, but they think I'm awesome because of how much work I put into that and I put in too much work um, I have not let go of that people pleasing and it, may, it creates resentment it makes me not always want to be around them but um, that's an area I'm still really working on um, I wish that I had been able to be more present, more honest, and more myself. But I was terrified that if I did, they wouldn't like me. I mean, I was also terrified. I felt terrible for my son. Like, I was like, look at what a mother you ended up with. Like, I, I really felt bad for him. Like, I, I was crying when he was born because I felt so bad for him. I have a really bad relationship with my mom. And I don't know how to have a... I don't understand what it really looks like to have an honest relationship with a parent. And so I did not know how to do that. And um, I am, one thing I am grateful for is that because of the side that I err on, they are happy. They know they can depend on me. They turn to me and tell me things that are really personal and intimate to them. And um, I'm glad that they have that. Um, But I wish that they, I wish that I could have been more real for them because I bet it would have been better for them. I think it would have been easier for, I think it would have been easier for everyone all around. And I just have to accept that I am not perfect. This was the best I could do. I am not, done evolving and um, with my son I am definitely more honest I'm more myself he gets yelled at 10,000 times more than the girls do (laughs) but he knows that I'm there for him no matter what and I don't have this fear that if I yell at him I've broken a bond I know my time is almost up so I'm just gonna say it's oh no I have five more minutes Um, Somebody, a a therapist said this to me, and it really helped me tremendously, which was, I was really, I talked a lot about this because I really had a lot of fear of it. You know, people say, kids, they go through stuff, and they're so resilient, and it's fine, they come out of it fine. My experience is not that. My experience is, I am still battling the demons that I battled. When I sat at the top of my step, and we had fired a nurse, and that was the only nurse that was available to work that night. And my, five minutes, my dad's life depended on that nurse. 
And I stayed up all night sitting on that step, waiting to hear if the alarm would go off. And when it would go off, I would wait and I would wait and I would come downstairs and he would just be reattaching the ventilator and he would say, you think I'm going to kill him? Is that what you think? And that is like, that's tiny. That's like a little drop in the bucket. There's a thousand of those things. And I am still walking a really rocky path back to somebody who is healed. I'm not fully healed. And so um, it's really, it's, it's because of that, I get scared of how, of the question of how, or how to be a good parent. But anyway, this, this um, therapist said, um, there's no such thing as a perfect parent because if you never did anything wrong, the bond would never tear. And if the bond doesn't tear, it has no opportunity to heal. And it's when the bond tears and heals that it becomes stronger. It's the only way for it to be stronger. And I've basically clung to that idea since then. Like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay for us to have a rupture. We will come back together. It is okay for us to have a rupture. We will come back together. I never practiced that in my life, and it's something I have to learn now. All right. Thank you very much. You seem to have had a husband who loves you. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, that's seldom pure luck. So how do you think you were making yourself a complete person in ways that you couldn't make yourself a complete person in many other places? Um, the question was, I seem to have found a husband who loves me. Um, how, how did I manage that, essentially? Um, uh, and it's, yeah, through my insecurities. Um, so um, it actually is a great question because for five years I dated a guy who was sleeping with other women. And that is what I thought of myself. Um, and um, one thing that happened was my father died. Yeah, my father died. And I really, I, I the year he died, I, I, I wept so much that a friend suggested I go on antidepressants. And I said no, because this is where I'm supposed to be. And I wasn't weeping because he died. I was crying. I was mourning the loss of everything that could have been in my life. The life I would have otherwise had. And that sounds really selfish to me when I say it, but that is what it is. And um, I was really present after that. And um, I was very honest with my insecurities. I think, in my opinion, in this program, it's not a matter for me of getting rid of my insecurities. It's a matter of being honest and not trying to pretend they don't exist. And so, um, guys suddenly came out of the woodwork. It was crazy. Um, it was true. I couldn't figure out how to get a date before that. And all of a sudden, there were like, I had like seven dates, like, you know. And so, I met this guy. I won't go into the details because that's unimportant. But I met this guy, and um, uh, he, at, you know, he asked for my number through a friend, and he called me up. And I'll never forget this. He, we talked for a while, and he said, 
I guess we're supposed to go for coffee. And I said, Why do you, what do you mean you guess we're supposed to go for coffee? And he said, well, that's what everybody's telling me to do. He was divorced, and he hadn't dated and really dated in 10 years. He said, I'm, I've been out of the game a long time, and everyone's telling me, go for coffee, because that's, then you have an easy out. <laughs> and I remember thinking, he's honest. And I loved that. And I said, we're going to dinner. And then I said, listen, we're, we're not going to be a thing. Because I was like, he's still healing, you know. I said, we're not going to be a thing. You know, you'll date me, then you'll date a thousand other people. And I was like, so I'm just going to give you some advice. Ask the person, I know my time is up. Ask the person um, if, you, if, you, if, they, if they would like you to pick them up because that's chivalrous and it's nice. And they'll say no because they don't know who you are. You might be some nut job, but you should just ask that. And he said, okay, may I pick you up? And I said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my time. Thank you. All right, now is the time for the secretary's announcements. Good morning. My name is Daphne. I'm a compulsive overeater. Daphne. Today, please join me in thanking the lovely Nancy for speaking today.